We are finishing our series in Ecclesiastes. Uh, we set out to finish these 12 chapters in 12 weeks, uh, and here we are now in our final week uh, and uh, our final uh, sermon in Ecclesiastes, and we're going to look at uh, Solomon's epilogue here right at the very end, Ecclesiastes 12, uh, 9 through 14. Actually, I'll back it up one verse uh, in verse 8. Um, thank you, brother. Uh, Ecclesiastes 12, 8 through 14. Then we'll begin. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight. And uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God. And keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Let me pray and ask for the Lord's grace to be upon us in this time. God, we ask, Lord, that you would give us understanding. And God, we need your spirit to act in our hearts and our minds. Would you illuminate your truth to us? God, I pray you would be with me in my own weakness. God, that I would be your servant and deliver your truth accurately and rightly and faithfully. Lord, I pray that you would clear any distractions in our minds. I pray, God, that we would behold your glory. I pray, God, that we would worship you. And I pray that you would change us. May Christ be exalted, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, back in the 90s, the 1990s, uh, there, there used to be a slogan, I don't know if it's still around, a slogan called Got Milk. Anyone, who, who has heard Got Milk? Okay, most, maybe a little more than half, okay. Uh, it, it was very, I think it's when it started, its popularity was in the 90s. Uh, I could be wrong, but I believe so. And, and that's when, there, there are tons of commercials with the, the slogan being got milk and each commercial in some way showed the need for milk and then at the end it would say got milk and it was a very like specific font and like it became like it like a brand um, I, I try to duplicate the font for you in your notes um, just so you could see that but all the commercials were they, they, they varied and they're funny uh, and clever and it made you realize like oh yeah like we really need milk uh, like for instance, like this commercial was uh, like this guy's like eating a bunch of cookies, uh, but then like he he's miserable because he has no milk. So like like oh like why did I eat all those cookies? I don't have any milk. Like that was pointless. Uh, or like one of the early ones, it might have been the first one. I'm not sure. Um, someone's like eating this like chocolate cake or something, and he's like this history buff, and he's listening to the radio, and he's stuffing his face with like chocolate cake. And this question comes on of like, 
Who killed someone? It was some history question. Who killed? Hamilton? Who killed Aaron Burr. Oh, Aaron Burr. Yeah. You've seen it. Yeah. 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 Who killed Hamilton? And he knew it was it was Aaron Burr. And he showed like he had all this history stuff around him. And then they, the radio was like, call in for the answer, this prize or whatever. And he like calls in and he's trying to say like Aaron Burr, but he can't because his mouth is like so like dried up from the cake. And like he, he tries pouring, he has like a milk carton. He tries pouring it in the glass, but there's nothing comes out of the milk carton. Like it was empty. Like he needed milk to wash it down. Uh, or like there's one where like it was like all black and white and like seemed like sad. Like it was this world without milk. Like like what are they gonna do? And everyone's sad. And it shows like this mom getting breakfast for their kids, like a bowl of of cereal and like going to the faucet and like filling it with water. And it's like oh no, like like everyone's sad because they have to eat cereal without milk. And, and the point of all these commercials is that life without milk is horrible. Life without milk is it's meaningless. It's pointless. Well, in the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon is on a quest to find meaning in life, to find the purpose of life, which is why I call tonight, Got Purpose? You see? And if you remember in chapter 1, he introduces the phrase, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And, and he repeats it throughout. Like, it really became the theme and the motto of this book, so much so that one of our staff members was like, okay, yeah, I get it. No one got that. Okay, that's fine. Okay. Anyways, he, he, so he repeats it and repeats it. And as he looks around the world, he sees life under the sun. As in, life without God is vanity, he says. He says it's, it's pointless. Solomon's search for meaning and, and purpose, even though he found that he, he could not find it, it, it was extensive. His quest was extensive. His search was extensive. He searched everywhere, you might remember. He sought meaning and purpose in riches. He sought meaning and purpose in sex, in possessions, in architecture, in wisdom, in work, in honor, in reputation, and so on and so forth. But no matter where he looked under the sun, he found that it was all vanity. He could not find purpose in this life under the sun. He could not find purpose without God. But the story does not end there. See, it could have easily just ended in 12.8. That says, vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. Like, he could have just ended right there. He would have ended it the way he started it. It would have proved his point. All is vanity. Like, that's it. Like, what a great, like, bookend. Like, right, we come full circle. All is vanity. Could have ended right there. However, that's not how he ended it. And that's not his point. His point is that not all is vanity. That you can find meaning and purpose in this life. And so while everything seems hopeless, he provides hope. While it seems as if the message of Ecclesiastes is, is that life is pointless, it's actually quite the opposite. Solomon's point is that life is full of purpose. And while the tone of the book may seem depressing, maybe, in reality, it's actually very hopeful. And this is the difference that Christ makes, that Christ turns everything upside down on its head. When you think there is no purpose, there is purpose in Christ. 
When you think all is hopeless, there is hope in Christ. When you think there is no satisfaction, there is satisfaction in Christ. When you think there's no joy, there's joy in guess who? In Christ. Thank you. And so in his epilogue, in his closing statement, we see that now Solomon turns everything around. Like, we've been getting to this point. Like, we've been waiting, finally, waiting for us to get here. And you guys, you small group here, you made it tonight. Good job. So first, we see that Solomon, in these verses, 9 through 14, that he gives a final word of warning that we must heed. And then we'll see that Solomon gives a final word of command that we must obey. So first... Let's look at the teacher's final word of warning. What the? <laughs> Spoilers! There we go. All right. The teacher's final word of warning, verses 9 through 12. We'll look at two points in here. The first is this. Listen to the wise words of the teacher. Listen to the wise words of the teacher, verses 9 through 11. Or preacher, you could say. ESV says preacher. Let me read verses 9 and 10. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. All right, Solomon is reverting back to speaking in the third person, just as he did at the beginning of the book, right? And that way, it is good bookends. And remember at the beginning, he kind of spoke in that way in the third person. And in this, he is speaking now of his qualifications as to why we should listen to his words. And he gives us many reasons. We won't look at it uh, for long, but let me just go through each of them very quickly. One, he, one of his reasons is that he taught the people knowledge. That Solomon is not just, he's not just passing along fun sayings he's not just making suggestions here or these like abstract ideas but solomon has passed along knowledge and we would be wise to listen to his words of knowledge and not just disregard them in fact it would be foolish to take the knowledge and wisdom of solomon and totally disregard them he tells us that he taught the people knowledge Secondly, he says that he, he weighed his teachings, as in like he pondered over this. He weighed it. He pondered it. That his words, he wasn't just like shooting from the hip. He wasn't just saying what he felt like saying or, or, or maybe what initially seemed reasonable to him. Like, yeah, I'm just going to kind of say this. No, he pondered these things. He weighed these things. I think he wrestled with these things. Third reason why we should listen to him is that he studied this. He sought, he sought this out. In weighing and pondering these truths, he sought out. He exhausted every option. And we saw this, did we not? Like he sought satisfaction and meaning and purpose in every area of life. And he didn't just dabble, but like he went all in. Like he just like dove into the deep end. Like he didn't just have money, but he had like, he was filthy rich, money upon money. He didn't just have romance, but he's like, let me have a thousand wives and concubines. He didn't just have possessions, but he had more possessions than he knew what to do with, right? Like, he just, like, all in. That if anyone could find meaning and satisfaction in the things of this world, it would have been him. But he didn't. 
Fourthly, why should we listen to him? Well, one reason is because he arranged this. He set it in order. He arranged his teachings, he says. That he carefully and wisely arranged and organized his thoughts and teachings in his writing. And I think maybe the way in which that we've, we've placed the chapters and verses in our Bibles, remember, th- those didn't come from Solomon, the chapters and verses, but maybe the ways in which uh, we, we've broken it out like that, in some way maybe made it feel more disorganized. But if you look at it in its writing, in its original writing, you'll see he arranged it in such a wise way. Fifthly, he presented, and this is the last reason he gives, that he presented words of truth. These writings, they're not false. They're not deceptive. They're not outdated. These are unchanging truths, which means they apply to us today. And so we'd be fools to reject his words. So see, Solomon is qualifying himself, saying these are the reasons why you should listen to my teachings. And we would be fools to disregard his teachings. Instead, his words ought to have an effect on us, an effect like that of goads and nails. In fact, that's what he says. Uh, The words of the wise are like goads and like nails. That's the effect that his word should have on us. And you're like, what's a goad? And I'm like, I don't know. i got to look it up. So I did. A goad is like a prod. It's like a long pole with, with a spike at the end or spikes at the end that farmers would use to, to provoke or, or, or to, to stimulate action from an animal. A goad. And they were used to redirect and correct and Solomon is saying his words are like a goad that they ought to redirect. His words ought to correct. They ought to stimulate an action from us. Well, as we finish the book of Ecclesiastes, let me ask you, have the words of Solomon been a goad to you? Have they redirected you in any way? Have they corrected you in any way? Have they stimulated action in you in any way? Or have the words of Solomon just gone in one ear and out the other? I've heard some great things come out of discussion groups and the guys' discussion groups. And the hidden microphones that I do for the girls' discussion groups. <laughs> just kidding. I'm kidding. All right. But for the, for the guys' discussion groups, I've heard some great things. And maybe in those discussions, you shared ways and you're like, yeah, you know, God really spoke to me in this way. You know, when Solomon said blah, 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 blah. And I, yeah, you know, I mean, that just really touched my heart. Okay, and that's good. But did it stop there? Or did it result in action? Did it result in change? He's saying his words, the words of the wise are like that of a goad. It stimulates action. It corrects. Then he says it's like nails. We know what nails are. Not fingernails. Okay, like bang, bang nails. Like hammer, hammer, nails. Okay? Nails, they what? They provide stability. They, they secure things. In the same way, Solomon's saying that his words, his teachings, supply stability and security. If we reject his words and seek the teachings of this world, we won't find stability. But there is stability in the truths of God's word. But how do we know that Solomon's words are the word of God? How do we know that? How can we trust 
that his words are true. There's a lot of ways, but without getting into canonicity, we, we actually have our answer right here in verse 11. The end of 11, he says, they are given by one shepherd. His words are given by one shepherd. And your translation may have that capitalized, shepherd, and rightfully so. Because this is a reference to God himself, saying that they're given by the one shepherd, by God. It's a title of God. Psalm 80, verse 1 says, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. Of course, Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. And Solomon is saying these words were given to him by the one shepherd. Not only that, but we know it is the inspired word of God. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. These words in which Solomon wrote, while they were his own words, while they were written by his own personality and his own experience, were spoken from God. And ultimately are his words as Solomon was carried about by the Holy Spirit. That's what 2 Peter chapter 1 says. Well, these words that we have been studying, they're not just wise words from a king. But they are the words from the king. They are God's words. Now the question for you today is, will you listen to the words of the teacher. Will you listen to the truth of God spoken through Solomon that all of life under the sun that is without God is meaningless. You will not find satisfaction. You will not find purpose in the things of this world. You've heard that for the last several months. But are you still searching? Are you still searching outside of God? Are you still looking for your purpose and your satisfaction outside of Christ? You will not find it. How do I know that? How can I say that so confidently? Because God says so. That's what we've been looking at for the last 12 weeks. Listen to the words of the teacher and trust the word of God. And the other side of that is where he goes in verse 12, and that is to beware of the contrary words of the foolish. Verse 12. We see to listen to the wise words of the teacher, but also beware of the contrary words of the foolish. Verse 12. Solomon warns his son and us to beware of anything beyond these, is what he says in verse 12. Beware of anything beyond these. What he's saying is, don't listen to words that are contrary to the words that I said. There will always be those who contradict the words of God. And we must beware not to fall to them. Satan is the great deceiver. And we must be on guard. Be discerning on what you're accepting as truth. Test it against the word of God. If it contradicts the word of God, it is wrong. Period. You know, we live in a day and age where 
information is just so easily put out there. Social media, people just say things. Influencers, they just influence people. I think, right? That has to get the name. It's what they do. Like it's just like information just out there. Oh yeah, this and that and whatever. Like information is just said as if it's truth. And then many people just accept it as truth. Like, oh yeah, this is what they said. Oh yeah, I heard this. Oh, you heard this from where? From who? Like, how do you know? How, is that credible? Like, yeah, no, I heard it. Oh yeah, you know what they say. Who's they? Be discerning. Beware of anything beyond these words, he's saying. There's a lot of foolish words in the world. They don't claim to be foolish. They don't seem foolish. Your influence aren't saying, this is foolish. Now listen to what I'm saying. Don't say that. Otherwise people wouldn't be tempted to believe it. This is why we need wisdom and discernment to know what is true and what isn't. And a very common message that is deceitfully being told is this is how you will find meaning and purpose and satisfaction in life. In this. In these things. And they, they won't say those words, but it's the hidden message behind their presentation. Social media, movies, the culture will tell us having these kinds of riches and this kind of lifestyle gives you satisfaction. It tells us having this kind of a body gives you meaning. It tells us having a lifestyle with these kinds of experiences or this kind of fun or this kind of entertainment gives you satisfaction. It tells you having this kind of an educational degree or this kind of a job gives you purpose. It says having these kinds of relationships gives you meaning. And so on and so forth. Is that found anywhere in Scripture? No, in fact, it's the opposite. It says that we've seen the last 12 weeks, it says these things won't give you satisfaction, meaning, or purpose. But the world will sneakily and deceitfully tell you otherwise. And Solomon says, beware of this. Beware. And then Solomon makes this comment about books. Okay. The end of verse 12. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. Some of you guys are like, amen. <laughs> study is a weariness of the flesh. He's not saying, don't read and study other books, right? Don't go home and be like, mommy, Luke said don't read books. That's what the Bible says. No. What he's saying is, look, there will always be people and things that will claim that you can find satisfaction and meaning in this world. But they are wrong. Don't listen. Solomon knows. He tested it all out. He's warning his son. Don't dismiss my investigation and seek to do your own investigation. Like, yeah, there'll be books. People will write all about it and say this, this, and do this, and do this. Don't try to investigate yourself. I already did it. Trust me. Please, just trust me. Don't make the same mistakes as me. He's trying to tell his son, don't do it. And I know that we are all tempted to do the same at times. Even though Solomon tested this 
to an extreme amount in ways that we wouldn't even be able to, we're still tempted to think, yeah, but he wasn't able to test this. Maybe this is the exception. And I'll find my satisfaction or my meaning or my purpose in this. Solomon says, beware. Beware of this. Nothing can satisfy the human heart except God alone. Do not think that you will find it outside of him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that to be true? Will you listen to the truth and the wisdom of God's word? Or is God wrong? And the world is right. Well, first we saw the teacher's final word of warning. He gives that warning. But then after his warning, he ends now with the word of command. Verses 13 and 14. The teacher's final word of command. And first, what we see in the, half, the first half of 13 are two commands. He gives us two commands as he finishes his book. Two commands in 13a. As Solomon concludes his book, he gives us two final commands that wraps everything up and it shows that indeed there is purpose in this vain world. You want to live with meaning? You want to live with purpose? You want satisfaction in life? It's not found in the things of this world. He says in verse 13, The end of the matter... All that has been heard. He's saying, this is my conclusion. This is the end of the matter. This is my conclusion. I've searched everywhere. And I can confidently say you will not find meaning and purpose and satisfaction in the things of this world. That's what he's saying. It's the end of the matter. All has been heard. Well, then where can we find it? It's found in these two commands. Fear God and keep his commandments. Those are the two commands. This is it. It's the end of the matter. All has been heard. Well, where is it found? Fear God. Keep his commandments. To fear God. It's not a new command, actually, or new instruction from Solomon. In fact, we've seen it woven throughout this book many times. In 3.14, in 5.7, in 7.18, in 8.12, in 11.9. He says to fear God. He says to fear God many times in the Proverbs as well. So it's not new. But you can see it's of most importance. So what does it mean to fear God? I think first it means put everyone in the proper place. I think it needs to start there. To first understand who we are. Let's, let's start there. We are created beings. We are created by God. We are created with the purpose which has been given to us by God. We are sinful. We are limited. And then when you understand who God is, He's the Creator. He's the authority. He is perfect. He is sinless. He is righteous. He is just. He is holy. He's holy. We compare ourselves to God as if like we're in the same league as Him. Like, yeah, let us compare ourselves. Like, 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 yeah. No, we're not. He's holy. Like, he is set apart. Do you guys remember the story of Job? Anyone remember the story of Job? Do you remember at the end, like, Job tried challenging God? 
Anyone remember that? Do you ever get that far in Job? It's at the end. In, in chapter 38, like, well, before that, Job challenges God, and then in chapter 38, like, God just, he puts him in his place. Let me just read some highlights how God describes himself to Job. I won't read all of chapters 38 through 41, but you can write that down. Write down Job 38 through 41 read it sometime. It's very good. You might as well go to 42. Let me just read some highlights. This is the beginning of 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, and then like, boom, like, oh, dude, he just whoops on Job. Just hear a few. This is God saying this to Job. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain and a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on a land where no man is? on the desert in which there is no man, to satisfy the waste and desolate land, and to make the ground sprout with grass. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Is the wild ox willing to serve you? Will we spend the night at your manger? Can you bind him in the furrow with ropes, or will he harrow the valley after you? Do you give the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like the locust? Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? Oh, man. He who argues with God, let him answer it. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? No one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up. Who then is he who can stand before me? Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. I mean, that's just a few. I mean, I'm telling you, read those chapters. He just goes on and on. I mean, you're just like, oh my goodness. Like, this is God. Right? Like, you just see the separation. You see the holiness of God. Like, this is God. This is me. Like, yeah, like, who am I compared to God? That's what he's saying. Like we, we need to understand our proper place and understand God's proper place and fear him. And, and then I, I think to fear God means to, when you understand that, to, to have an attitude of, of complete awe of who he is then. Like to revere him as the holy God, Yahweh. Man cannot look at God. Man cannot stand in his presence. Like we, we would fall flat on our face in fear. I mean, Moses barely gets a glimpse of his backside of God, and then all of a sudden, like, his face is glowing so bright they have to cover it. I mean, this God is to be feared. Don't mess around with this God. You have to be in complete, utter awe. Of who he is. It is a fearful thing to see who God is and to see who you are in comparison. Do you fear God? Do you fear him? You want to live with purpose and meaning? It starts by fearing God, by being in complete awe of who he is. 
On the flip side, you could ask, do you not fear God? Well, then you're just chasing after the wind. Everything is indeed vanity if you do not fear God. And the result of fearing God ties directly into his second command, which is to keep God's commandments. Right? He said, fear God and keep his commandments. When you truly fear God, the natural response is to keep his commandments. But I think it's often when we lose sight of God that we choose to sin instead of obey. Because when you truly fear him, when you truly fear God, then you realize how infinitely worthy he is of your complete obedience. When you truly fear him, you realize it's foolishness to sin against him. God is the creator of all. He is the author. He, he is the authority. He is true wisdom. Therefore, we obey him. Like, who else would we obey other than God? It's kind of silly if you think about it. Like, as if there even is another option. As if there's even competition. Like, why would we choose to obey a lesser being? You being included. You being a lesser being. Why would you obey you and your sinful desires? Why, why, why would you live for, for so-and-so's approval instead? Why would you live for anyone else other than God when you truly see him for who he is and behold him and fear him? You see, instead, your fear of God ought to bring you to a place where you desire to live in obedience to him. Because in that fear, you realize he is so worthy. And so you give your life to him. And you live in obedience to Him. To say that you fear God, but don't obey His commandments, it's foolishness. To say you fear God, I fear God, I revere God, oh God, yes, praise you, glory to you God, oh I fear you. And then not to obey His commandments, it's it's fraud. It's counterfeit. It's, it's, It's play acting. It's not consistent. I know we struggle with sin. I know we do sin. We do disobey. I think often it's because we're not beholding God. We're not fearing Him. Do you fear God? Then live in obedience to Him. Let me ask you, what does your life reflect about how you view God? Think about your life. What does it reflect about your view of God. Does your life reflect that you're you're okay with God, but you don't truly fear Him and revere Him and therefore submit to Him in a life of worshipful obedience? Or does your fear of God lead you to a life of obedience, a life of worship? Well, he ends by giving us two commands, but he doesn't quite end. Now he ends as he gives us two reasons. We see two commands as we look at his final word, two commands, and then he ends it with two reasons. Solomon gives us these two commands, 
And he gives us the two reasons. Two reasons why we should fear God and keep his commandments. He tells us, fear God, keep his commandments. Well, why? Well, let me give you two reasons why. First, because it's the whole duty of man, he says in the end of verse 13. Why should you fear God and keep his commandments? It's the whole duty of man. This is what it means to be human. This is your purpose. Got purpose? You want to live a purposeful life? Then live according to your purpose. Like, it's that simple. I want, I want to live a purposeful life. Okay, live according to your purpose. This is the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep his commandments. No wonder the world is so confused about their purpose. No wonder the world is constantly seeking satisfaction and purpose in life, but they cannot find it because they do not fear God and because they do not keep his commandments. The world goes round and round seeking to find meaning and seeking to find purpose in this life, and they cannot find it, but your answer is right here. Do not waste your life. Do not dismiss or neglect truth. Are you seeking purpose in your life? Are you seeking meaning? Then live according to your purpose. Live for the glory of God. What are you spending your life on? What are you prioritizing? What are you making the purpose of your life? What are you making the purpose of your life? At the end of your life, it's not going to matter how many degrees you have. At the end of your life, it's not going to matter how much money you have. It's not going to matter how popular you are. It's not going to matter about the experiences you had how much fun you had. In your life, these things aren't going to matter. What matters is, did you know Christ? Did you fear God and keep his commandments? This is the whole duty of man. Will you live your life in accordance to God's purposeful design for you? Or will you live the one life that God has given you and waste it away? You want purpose? Live for the glory of God by fearing Him and by keeping His commandments. That's purpose. You know, my cousin, who actually taught me drums when I was young, I'm still in contact with him often, um, on his drum set, he, he had a uh, sticker, like a bumper sticker that he made and put it right there on his bass drum. And it said, Got Purpose? That's where I get the name. In the Got Milk font. It said, Got Purpose? And as a reminder, that's our purpose. Worship. So he put it there every time. Obviously, worship is more than just songs. But he put it there anytime he went to play drums. Worship, and it was at his church, his drum set at his church. Got purpose? Yes. That's our purpose. Worship God. Live for his glory. Fear God and keep his commands. That's his first reason, is because it's the whole duty of man. 
His second reason, and realize it closes now in verse 14. His second reason is because God will bring every act to judgment. You see that? That's a reason. Look at verse 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. That's a reason. God will bring every act into judgment, even every secret act. It will be revealed and it will be judged. This is why you should fear God. This is why you should keep his commandments. No one will escape the judgment of God. Every act, every thought, every word will be judged. Every motive will be judged. Everything that's in secret, he says, will be judged. There are no secrets with God. There's nothing hidden from God. All will be judged. And, we'll all, and when all will be judged, it will be revealed that we are guilty, that we are sinful. And any righteousness you think you have will be revealed as dirty rags. And if you are not in Christ, you are left alone in your sin and in your dirty rags, and you will be judged accordingly. Do you realize that? That you will be accountable before God and you will be declared guilty and you will receive your just penalty. The eternal wrath of God. That is serious. That's how he ends this book. But God is a merciful God. And it's those in Christ who will be saved. It is those in Christ who are covered in the righteousness of Christ. If you are in Christ, he bore your wrath on your behalf and he took upon the punishment that you deserve and he gave you his righteousness. And so if you are in Christ, you can read this verse and see that every act will be judged and you can say, look at what Christ has covered. All of my sin, every secret act, Look at what's been covered. Look at what has been forgiven by the finished work of Jesus. Isn't that incredible? And so do you see what this does, Christian? This does not then create a desire to sin all the more. Oh, every secret act, hey, it's covered by Jesus. Great, let me sin. No, instead it creates a desire to fear God and to keep his commandments. Christian, you ought to see the amazing grace and the mercy of God and be in such awe that you are moved to fear this God and you are moved to live in obedience to Him. And so now, Christian, you can enjoy your life. (laughs) You can live with purpose. Did you ever catch many times in Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, enjoy life. Never once did he say enjoy sin. Sadly, many people confuse this. And they think to enjoy life means to enjoy sin. Oh my goodness. Nothing is further from the truth. To enjoy life is to live in accordance with your purpose. What is your purpose? To fear God and to keep his commands. That's how we enjoy life. 
Are you living with purpose? Or are you wasting it away? I tell you guys, this is this has been convicting to my heart. I do not want to stand before God one day and for it to be revealed that he has given me spiritual gifts, that he has given me opportunity to serve his people, to live for his glory, but I wasted it away. Fill in the blank, whatever the excuse is. God said, I gave gave you these gifts. I gave you this opportunity. I gave you all these ways in which you could have lived for my glory. And what did you do, Luke? You thought this was more important? What did you do, Luke? You You were too scared? You didn't step out in faith? You were too lazy? You wanted your own comfort? You wanted more fun? Whatever, whatever it might be, whatever the excuse is, I stand before God and say, I'm sorry, God, I wasted it. My life is over. No, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Not because it credits me any more of God's love or acceptance, because it doesn't. But because I love him. Because he first loved me and because he's worthy of my whole life. And I don't want to waste that away. Will you live for his glory? Will you fear God and obey his commands? This is the whole duty of man. And God is judge. Well, we finally come to an end of Ecclesiastes. And it's been quite a journey. And maybe throughout you felt that's taken a bit of a negative tone. Vanities of vanities, we've heard over and over again. But as we come to the end, we should really see it's not a hopeless book, but rather it's a very hope-filled book. It doesn't have a negative outlook on life, but actually a very positive one. It does not say that life is meaningless, but it says that life is full of meaning, that there is great purpose in life. And the difference is Christ. Is life worth living for? Is there meaning and satisfaction in life? If you are in Christ, if you have been forgiven of all sin, if you are a new creation living for the glory of God, then yes! And no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, and no matter what life may bring to you, there is purpose, and there is meaning, and there is satisfaction in Him. Do you want to live a purposeful life? It starts with Christ. I need to address the non-Christians in this room. I know there, there are non-Christians in here, I, I would assume. If you're not a Christian, I beg you, do not waste your life. Fear God and obey his commandments. And this starts by placing your faith in Jesus Christ and repenting of your sins. 
You are not right with God. You are at enmity with Him. Stop wasting your life. You are wasting away your days. Every day that passes by. Come to Christ. You know, I've known so many Christians who have come to faith later in life. And I often hear them say, man, I wish I came to Christ sooner. I wasted so many days. I wish I was saved younger. You ever heard that before? I've never once, not once have I heard a Christian say, I became a Christian too soon. I wish I didn't become a Christian until later. Not once. Because living a life in Christ for the glory of God, it is the greatest and the sweetest and the most all-satisfying and joy-filled life that you can ever live. Stop wasting away your days, running away from Christ. Come to Him in faith and repentance. Know that you can receive life in Christ. And that you can begin living a life of purpose and meaning and satisfaction today. And if you are in Christ, praise God. Praise God and know that no matter what circumstance you find your life in, you have purpose. And you have meaning in this life. And it's not found in the things in this world. Solomon proved that to us. Trust the word of God. Don't fall to the lies and the temptation of the world that says you can find meaning and satisfaction in the things of this world. Instead what? What does he say? Fear God and keep his commandments. There is true, eternal satisfaction and meaning in living a life of genuine worship to God. Got purpose? There's purpose in Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you that there is purpose in you. God, this life is not meaningless. Look at that you have created us for a reason. And that, that is to worship you, to glorify you. God, I pray that we would not fall to the temptations of this world. God, I pray that we would not seek meaning and satisfaction, purpose, anything else outside of you. Or may we live for you in all that we say and do. May we seek your glory. God, for those in here who are still running, I pray that you would break them. They would see their need for you. They would stop wasting away their days. And God, that they would come to you in faith and repentance. Lord, would you bless our time as we discuss these things. May they be real and genuine. God, may your words be that of goads and nails. Stir in us action and change. Give us stability and security in your words. May we follow you in your ways all the days of our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.